This is The Podlight, a podcast by San Jose Spotlight dedicated to independent political and business reporting. I'm your host, Editor Nick Preciado. On today's show, we're discussing the potential loss of a community mural in one San Jose neighborhood, as well as an appeal by San Jose Spotlight for access to city emails related to the mayor's advocacy group. Residents of San Jose's Guadalupe, Washington neighborhood have been trying to save a mural they say deters graffiti in the area, but the new owner of the building where the mural is located wants it gone. Joining me now to discuss this is senior reporter Eli Wolf. How's it going, Eli? Good. So tell us about this mural. Where is it located and when was it painted? Right. So the mural is located on uh, 899 South 1st Street, and um, basically it's a celebration of uh, Latino culture. Um, you know, it uh, depicts a uh, folklorico dancer, uh, which commemorates a local dancer in the area who died of cancer. Um, there's a uh, reference to Cesar Chavez uh, and a depiction of a Dia de los Muertos figure. Um, the old property owner basically allowed a group of community members to um, paint it back in uh, uh, 2016. And uh, the incentive was to both highlight culture, but also to deter uh, gang tagging, um, because uh, apparently uh, gang members are less inclined to tag over uh, uh, art murals. Um, the head of the Guadalupe Washington Neighborhood Association, uh, Rosalinda Aguilar told me that the area still has gang activity, but people do seem to leave the mural alone. And why is this mural now at risk of being removed? So the new owner who purchased the building recently on which the mural is painted is interested in removing it, according to community members. He didn't respond to any of my attempts to talk to him, but the folks that I spoke with said that basically he wants to get rid of it. Uh, because he's concerned that the mural could be off-putting to some people. And uh, one of the things that they said, or claimed that he said, was that some of the images could be seen as gang-related. He also told them that he wants to uh, bring tech workers into the building, um, and I think there was some concern that that could uh, uh, keep them from uh, having an interest in joining or, you know, coming to his building. Um, I should also note that as the owner of the property, he's basically free to do what he wants with it. Right. And I know that that makes the issue complicated for the community because no matter how much the community wants the mural to stay, it's ultimately this property owner's decision whether it stays or not. Yeah, exactly. So what efforts have community leaders made to try to stop this uh, removal? Uh, they've done a lot. Um, the Neighborhood Association, the artist uh, uh, whose name is uh, Tomas Talamantes, and uh, council member Raul Perales all spoke with the property owner and tried to communicate the importance of the mural to the local community as both a you know cultural symbol, but also you know as a practical deterrent against tagging on this building. Um, uh, council member Perales uh, told me that he actually sent the property owner a letter that explained that under California law he has a you know minimum obligation to notify the artist of his intent to remove it, and I think that was in part to, you know, see if they could maybe deter him at the last second from doing this. And uh, for your story this week, you actually spoke to the artist who designed the mural, uh, Tomas Talamantes. What did he have to say about the situation? The long story short is that he's really bummed. Um, Tomas said he spoke with the property owner about preserving the mural, but um, wasn't able to convince him to do it, um, even if it was just as a, you know, a way to keep graffiti off in the future. Uh, He did note that the uh, new owner seemed open to the idea of maybe painting another mural in the future if uh, tagging escalates to more extreme behavior like violence. But um, he he really wasn't very optimistic that this would, uh, you know, there'd be an outcome where there'd be another painting left on this uh, on this wall. Okay, well, thank you for breaking that down for us, Eli. Appreciate you coming on. 
San Jose Spotlight is a community-supported, nonprofit news organization fueled by readers and listeners like you. You can support our work by becoming a sustaining member with a monthly or annual donation on our website, sanjosespotlight.com. Santa Cruz Locals, do you want to know what's going on with housing, homelessness, and development? The Santa Cruz Local podcast peels back the complex layers of these issues. Santa Cruz Local shares voices you won't hear anywhere else. Find Santa Cruz Local wherever you find podcasts. Earlier this week, San Jose Spotlight appealed to a citizen-led city board concerning withheld emails related to Mayor Sam Licardo's advocacy group. Joining me now to discuss this is reporter Tron Nguyen. How's it going, Tron? Good. Thank you for having me. So give us a bit of background here. Why did our news organization appeal for access to these emails? So San Jose Spotlight essentially has been in a months-long fight with the city over the release of emails between Mayor Sam Licardo's office and the city attorney um, related to the mayor's lobbying group, Solution San Jose. Solution San Jose has heavily lobbied on a number of public policies matters. Um, this include water rate hikes, um, economic development, housing policy, and reopening public schools. Um, these are all matters that city-related. And so when in May, when we request emails related to Solution San Jose, um, the city responded with a blanket denial, saying that the emails are subject to attorney-client privilege. Um, we thought this was not proper uh, denial of record request. Um, so we appealed the decision to the Rules and Open Government Committee in June, um, which anonymously voted to conduct a second search of records, um, but also provide some details of the withheld emails in a privileged log. This privileged log um, released to us in late June um, sh- show very limited details um, about the emails. Um, this include email address of senders and receivers, as well as the date and time when the emails were sent. Um, none of the content was disclosed uh, in this log. So even with these limited information from this log, it raised more questions for us in regards to inconsistency in the reasoning that the city has given to deny these records. Um, San Jose Spotlight decided to escalate this request and appeal uh, for the second time, this time with the Board of Fair Campaign and Political Practices which is a citizen-led board, um, is independent from the city, um, with the hope that the, this board will conduct an independent review um, and give us a fair answer to whether these records are indeed attorney-client privilege. So what decision did the board come to? So a couple of things happened tonight. Um, in regards to our public records appeal, um, they unanimously voted to defer it to the next meeting in November. Um, this is mostly because our appeal uh, really prompted the questions um, of the board's role and ability to conduct independent reviews of complaints. Um, what had happened was the board chair pointed out that this review process um, is inherently is an inherent conflict of interest. Um, The board is tasked to hear these appeals um, of public records. Um, This is according to the city's uh, code, but in this case where it's attorney-client privilege, the city attorney told the board that it's 
cannot make a decision on the appeal. It cannot review the records in question. Um, and it's recommended that the board would either deny the appeal or refer it to the city council because it's explained that only the city council would have the authority um, to review the records and um, consequently waive it if it chooses to. Uh, interesting. That's definitely a complicated process, and I could see the just some of the issues there and really how they can even make a decision. So um, San Jose Spotlight's co-founders are arguing that this appeal process is deeply flawed. Can you explain how? Sure. So we have now gone through two appeal hearings um, for the for to fight for these three emails. Um, and the co-founders also argue that they believe that there's more emails related to Solutions San Jose than these threes. Um, but the flaw here is that neither of these board and committee um, were able to see the documents and, and the emails before they make the decision. Um, so what did board members have to say about their inability to review the emails in question? It seems like it would be difficult for them to do their jobs or weigh in on this process if they can't even look at what they're weighing in on. Yeah, so the board chair, Adrian Gonzalez, actually said that this is an inherent conflict of interest um, to not be able to see the documents or the emails um, by themselves. Um, and having to rely on staff's word um, to make a decision. Um, essentially, all of the board members find this process problematic um, with Gonzalez specifically say that this will contribute to, you know, the distrust in government um, that we've seen um, because we have a law that say that this is an independent appeal process um, and then when people like us appeal, take advantage of this, this process, the city is now saying that the board, the independent board, cannot participate or make any decision on it. Okay, well, thank you for uh, explaining that, Tron. I know that this is definitely not going away. It's something we're going to follow, especially at that next meeting in November. And I'm sure we'll have you back on to talk about it then. Sounds good. That's it for this episode of The Podlight, a podcast produced by San Jose Spotlight, the city's first nonprofit news organization dedicated to independent reporting. I'm editor Nick Preciado. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.